In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it was a 1, Kevin. That didn't look like a 1, but it, it kind of looked like an I, maybe a J. Uh, I don't know what that letter was right there. It didn't, it didn't show up too good. Uh, but in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and verse 7, um, what has happened here is Saul has just recently been sort of sent off as the king. But do you remember anything about Saul? Saul's appearance was such that people said, for a way that we describe today, Saul looks like a king. He was tall, handsome. He was taller than everybody else. He was handsome. He looked like a king. Now, the reality was Saul's actions didn't really always match that of a king. And so what ends up happening then is after Saul is a king, uh, he almost is viewed as like a failure. God had rejected Saul. Saul was just a disaster. And so Samuel was responsible for uh, anointing a new king. We can read all about this in First and Second Samuel. But God sends Samuel to Jesse's house. And Jesse trots out all these sons. And you know what we're thinking about when we see them. Like, it's like just parade them out. Yeah, no, he won't work. No, too ugly, too dumb, too tall, too short, whatever. But you know when he trots them out there, what they're thinking of is who looks like a king. Now think about that for a second. Because we have all uttered a similar phrase at some point. He don't look like a preacher. He doesn't look like a teacher. He don't look like a president. We've all said something like that, right? When's the last time you saw a five foot four president? James Madison did it. Nobody liked it ever again after that. It's been 200 years. But we got to be, be a certain look, right? Well, they tried all these people out. Well, Jesse's son was David. And the Bible makes a specific point to almost describe David's negative qualities, right? They describe him as being short and you know, back complexion, all this kind of stuff, and you think, well, that doesn't seem like a king. Who's perhaps the most, most famous king in the, in the Old Testament? It's David, right? But David was not what people looked at. But what Kevin read there just a second ago, God answered that question because people looked at David and said, well, that, ain't, that doesn't really look like what we want. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God said what? He said, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? Lord looks at the heart, right? Well, whenever we see somebody who doesn't look like a preacher or a teacher or a president or you fill in the blank, we're looking at it strictly right here, right? Needs to be a little taller, whatever it may be. But that's not what the Bible says God was looking for in David. Now the question is, as Christians, do we fit the outward appearance or do we fit the heart appearance? Well, the thing is, it's hard to really know that about somebody else. Okay? But this question is not about somebody else. This question today is about you or me. You are the somebody else, as it were. We're talking today about two different hearts. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, it speaks often about the heart. We know that this is not necessarily what's in the center of our, you know, our chest right here, but it's something more, perhaps, than that. The, word's heart, the word heart is often used by us, even today, in a metaphorical sense, right? We use it to describe emotions that we may 
come upon at some time. Have you ever heard somebody say, follow your heart? You ever heard that? You ever heard the opposite? My heart just wasn't in it. You heard those kinds of sayings there, right? Trust your emotions here. Trust your feeling. I got a feeling about this. Trust that feeling. Well, that's not necessarily what the Bible means when it uses the word heart here as well. When the Bible uses the word heart, I've got a bunch of things listed here, but the Bible talks about the heart as something that's imagining, something that's thinking, something that is willing. Are we that? Are we imagining? Are we thinking? Are we willing? We think about the heart in the Bible. We're talking about something that contains wisdom, something that's seeking, something that is considering. Do we do that? Well, I hope we have wisdom, but we have to gain that. But if not, are we seeking out those kinds of things? Are we considering what we would do with that? The heart is described in the Bible as loving, but also fear. As grieving, but also desires. Does our heart, can our heart be described in the same way? It's described in the Bible as being prayerful, as being courageous, guilty, humble, prideful. All of those things are described in the Bible as a, or used in the Bible as a description of the heart. It's prepared, faithful, upright, glad, broken, and contrite. All of those are terms or phrases or whatever you want to say that it's used to describe the heart in the Bible. So it's far more than just follow your emotions. It's far more than I just have a feeling about this. There's a lot of descriptors of the heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also, right? And so whatever we're focused on, that's how I'm thinking of the word treasure right there, whatever we want to center ourselves on, that's where our heart would be. Today we're going to look at two types of hearts. We're going to look at the hard heart. We're going to look at the soft heart. We're going to see which one of these descriptors seems to match us a little better. Only you can judge. Only you can give yourself check marks or X's on these. Let's talk about the hard heart first. First type of hard heart is a stubborn heart. Know anybody that's stubborn? Stubborn as a mule, right? Probably you. Probably more likely your spouse. But somebody that you know is incredibly stubborn, right? Somebody that we know is stubborn. Well, let's talk about somebody who was very stubborn as well. In Exodus chapter 7 through 14, this is a lot of talk about Pharaoh right here. Pharaoh has a stubborn heart. I think in Exodus chapter 7, one of the first things that happens is Aaron's rod is turned over. You know, they, he reveals himself, they reveal themselves to be more capable than Pharaoh's sorcerers or whatever word you want to use. And so after that, there's a whole litany of plagues that come. So if you start at Exodus chapter 7, plagues actually maybe in Exodus chapter 8, but if you start with those, you'll see this whole litany of plagues. Really just God showing what he was capable of doing. And the hope here is that Pharaoh would look at this and say, well, this seems like more than I'm capable of doing. This is far greater than what my gods are capable of doing. And so all of these things, but the Bible talks about at the end of each phase, or excuse me, end of each plague, it says that Pharaoh's heart hardened, right? It hardens. Eventually, uh, eventually it'll lead to the Israelites being sent away uh, after the ten of them. 
But during that being sent away, in Psalm chapter 78 and verse 8 reflects back on those Israelites coming out of Egypt. If you turn to Psalm 78 verse 8, it says, And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Now, the Bible is not written in an exactly, or is not set up in an exactly chronological order. But the psalm, Psalm 78 and verse 8, it seems like, you know, we're not that far removed from the Israelites being removed. The Israelites coming out of Egypt was because of the stubbornness of Pharaoh. But in Psalm chapter 78 and verse 8, they're talking about the people who came out of there. They were just as stubborn as well. Sometimes the people that need to be changed are too stubborn. Sometimes the people that get changed are pretty stubborn in and of themselves as well. This stubborn heart. So why did they have to mention this? Why was it mentioned? Well, but during the period of Judges, Israel had fallen away. That's a repeated story. Israel messing up, Israel falling away. Judges chapter 2 and verse 9 we read, And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from, here's how it ends, their stubborn way. Can our stubbornness get in the way of change? It's a hard heart. Is the opposite of a soft heart, what we're looking at today. But a hard heart, a stubborn heart, our stubbornness can sometimes stand in the way of us doing what, maybe not only what we need to do, but what we absolutely must do in the process. With Christianity, becoming a Christian, there is some heart changes that have to be made. But a stubborn heart makes it difficult for those changes to be made. How about the second you ever heard the word stiff-necked? I don't know that I've ever heard stiff-necked other than in the Bible. Uh, I don't know that that's a phrase that we say a whole lot. But stiff-necked is stubborn, but more intense. One won't even turn around to look in the other direction. My, late, my most recent experience with stiff-necked was on our way to North Carolina last weekend. I pulled up to the stop sign, and I turned to look to the left, and it hurt to look to the left. I don't know if I laid wrong or whatever it was. I just hope nothing was coming because I couldn't even hardly turn and look that way. Mary called me an old man when I did that. I was stiff-necked. That's not the same kind of stiff-necked that we're talking about right here. But there's some, there's some truth to it that if you can't even look that way, then we're just not even going to try and look that way, right? You've all had some of those aches or pains. You're like, I can't even raise my arm up this morning or whatever it is. Well, we're not going to try if that's the case. Stiff-necked is one who won't even turn around to look and see that he's going in the wrong direction. That's maybe more than stubborn. Stubborn might be that I know, but the simple fact is I'm not even going to try and hear what has to say on the other side. We read about this biblically. Exodus chapter 20, or 32 and verse 9 says, The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed, they are a stiff-necked people. He told Moses that. He said, I've seen them. They are indeed a stiff-necked people. Do you know anybody that's stiff-necked? Probably us, right? We may sometimes fall into that stiff neck category ourselves. But the Lord said to Moses, I've seen him as well. Some of the final words of Stephen before he was stoned to death come in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. And he says, you stiff neck and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You always, notice this, resist the Holy Spirit. But he not only says, you not only resist it, but he said, as your fathers did 
as well. So it's not a new thing. These stiff-necked people are sometimes refusing to turn around and look away. And sometimes we refuse to turn and look back the other direction because that's not how mom and daddy did it. Daddy always said, do it this way. I'm doing it the same Wait, can that get us in trouble religiously sometimes? I don't want to know the answer. I'm plowing straight ahead. Stiff necked can do that. Stiff necked's going beyond not listening, and in some cases putting forth a visible resistance. Third, impenetrable. You ever known anybody that would be described, their heart could be described as just impenetrable? I just can't reach this person. I don't even know, they just don't even have to be a religious thing. But it may be just anything where I've tried to explain something to them and they just won't even hear. Just can't even find a way in right there. This kind of heart doesn't allow anything in. And these are the hard hearts that we probably think about, right? If you look at the picture up there in the top corner, you got a heart shaped, right? I don't know why hearts are shaped like that. That's not what it looks like in your body, but that's what the shape is that's always used. But if you'll notice, it's kind of a gray rock sort of covered over but it's breaking apart and you see this part right here well impenetrable is over here on this side just can't quite get through that point impenetrable heart look jesus said look chapter 8 and verse 12 those who are by the wayside are the ones who hear then the devil comes and takes the word takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved and what he's saying there is there's some people that just won't even let it even sit there for a second. Because if it sits there for a second, it might cause some change within my life. And I don't want to hear anything about that. That impenetrable, hard heart. Jesus wasn't just tossing this comment out for the fun of it. The Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 5 and verse 33 had this kind of heart when Peter told them now to obey God rather than men. And how did they respond? They wanted to kill him whenever he said that. They didn't want to let it sit there for a minute and say, well, let's think about what he's saying for just a second. It was like the minute they said, you know, I obey God rather than men. They're like, ah, oh, we got to kill this guy because they're saying something that I don't really want to hear. Those who stoned Stephen, we just saw about a minute ago, had this heart when they, he delivered his indictment against him. You remember when Stephen, it's a great reading in, 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 in Acts uh, that Stephen is, uh, Stephen is ultimately put to death. But Stephen sends the four group of people and knowing that his punishment is going to end up being death, he tells them everything that they did wrong. And instead of them saying, well, this guy brings up some good points. How might I be able to make some changes? They immediately took him out. They said they gnashed their teeth at him while he's talking. And they took him out and they stoned him right then and there. Are we sometimes like that? Are we sometimes impenetrable? Do we sometimes say, I don't want to hear that. That's a hard heart. What about a soft heart? Well, if you have the hard heart listed and you got the soft heart listed, they're almost completely opposites of one another. The first part of our soft heart is submissive. This means we're willing to listen to God with at least a view toward obedience. I wrote that for just a, for a specific reason. With a view toward obedience. Can you see something and not accept it? You can't. But at least you're looking at it, right? Remember the stiff-necked person? I'm not even going to turn around and look at it. It's submissive heart. If somebody says, I'm prepared to see what you got to say. That's a soft heart. We'll build on that here for just a second. This submissive or this soft heart. The Bible says a great deal about this. In fact, there's three different things I want us to look at. Let's start with Matthew chapter 7 
verse 24 through 27. This is right at the end of the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the, basically the last three words, last four sentences or verses uh, that Jesus. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on this house, and it fell. And then, and great was its fall. And when we read that here for just a second, we're reading about what Jesus was saying here. We're reading about a submissive person, a person who was willing to listen to what needed to be done. I don't know anything about building a house. Not a single thing about building a house. But I do know that if I were to want to build a house, there are people that I would need to listen to. If you want to build a house, there are people that you need to listen to. But if you're planning to build a house and you say, Daniel, I'd like to talk with you about building a house after church, we're all wasting each other's time. I'm not who you need to listen to, right? But we need to listen to whoever it is that can tell me about it. Well, if we're talking about Jesus' teachings, he's talking about people being submissive, people who are willing to hear what is being said, a view toward salvation. Because what happens to the houses? There's two houses built in this story, right? One, they built on a firm foundation. It stands up against the wind, the storm, the rain, whatever it might be. One's built on the sand, and whatever happens, happens. But not only that, it describes it as being a great Sometimes submissiveness requires not just hearing, but also doing. You ever heard something presented to you, maybe at work or something, you thought, I'm not going to do that. I'll just be real honest with you. After you've taught school for almost 20 years, there are some things that they'll try it out. It's like, I'm not going to do that. Right? Younger people don't ever do that. I, you know, I don't want you to get fired. But sometimes, like, they'll tell us something at a meeting here just a couple weeks ago. We got three people in our apartment that are new teachers. And they, they were all stressing and worrying. I'm like, don't worry about this. It ain't that big of a deal. And then I realized, like, well, I better not say that. They could get fired for not doing it. They're probably going to fire me. But I can already know what it is. But sometimes we hear things and we say, I'm not going to do that, right? Well, that's probably a bad plan at work. But it's definitely a bad plan in the church, right? It's definitely a bad plan within religion. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. You can turn over there and see it if you want to as well. These are not new verses for you, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Because in hearers only, it says what in verse 22? We deceive ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. He describes it as looking into a mirror. We look into a mirror every day, right? I look into the mirror every morning when I brush my teeth or shave or whatever. And I used to be real honest with you, I've not changed in 40 years. But I've looked at a lot of pictures that Dad keeps sending me and I think, man... I've changed a lot in the last 10 minutes, much less over the last 40 years. But when we see this, if we're not careful, if we're not looking at this, if we're not focusing ourselves, 
Then we're hearers, but not necessarily doers. And it's a different thing. James had more to say a couple verses, or a couple chapters over, James 4, verse 7. He says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and what? He will flee from you. James chapter 4 and verse 7. So we have to be submissive, but not just submissive, because submissive says I'm willing to hear. We also need to be malleable and moldable, right? You know those two words? Malleable and moldable, we'd probably like different kind of M&Ms beside these. But malleable is something that can be sort of worked with, right? It's kind of worked with, something that is malleable. Are we willing to be changed under the hand of God? Malleable is adjusting. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you our Potter. And all we are, and all we are, the work of your hand. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever done any pottery type stuff? I don't know. Have you ever done that? I mean, I, we might have done it when we was in elementary school. I don't really remember. But if you've ever done that, you get a big old lump of clay. I've seen it on TV or whatever. They just slam it down on that thing that spins, right? Looks like a big old chunk or something. And at some point, this is going to be made into a base. Or it's going to be made into a pitcher, or it's going to be made into a cup. You go to these places, they have these and pitcher boards and all that. You can look at, they make all this stuff, and you think, how in the world did this come from this? You ever know any Christians like that? How did this come from that? You know, we sometimes hear people tell stories about mistakes and problems and troubles and difficulties, things they did wrong when they were younger. And they say, if they could see me now, they wouldn't even know, they wouldn't even recognize me. They're malleable. They allow themselves to be changed just a bit. Not only that, are we malleable, we're also moldable. We can be made into whatever it is that's desired. Ben, I know you have a chunk of stuff whenever you're going out to the forge there to work with, and you have a plan. I want to make whatever it might be. It, it, it could be anything, but you have a game plan. I want to mold this into something that can be used, something that can be hung on a wall, something that can be looked at, something that's pretty, whatever it might be. Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verse 10 says, For we are His, Jesus' workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have to be moldable. One of the ways I think we can be malleable and moldable is with a little bit of exhortation. A little bit of building up. When we build others up, or when we build Christ up, when we build up the church, whatever it is, I think that gives a little bit more change for us as well. If we have exhortation, we're talking, if we're saying how happy we are with people that we go to church with, the people that we come in contact with, how encouraged we are by them, that allows us to be molded just a little bit more. What if nobody ever said good job? What if nobody ever said, I'm glad that you're here? What if nobody ever told you that they were happy to have you in the church? You're going to go from soft to hard really quick. But sometimes you can tell somebody one thing, they'll do something, they'll work forever after that. I had a student, uh, a student didn't start the year with me, but he came to me about six weeks in. And the girl that's assistant principal, she said, you're going to like him. She said, some people don't, but you're going to like him. Because she said, the first day, you're going to say something nice to him, and he's going to work his hind end off for the rest of the year. He's not a real smart kid, but over the, this Wednesday night, when I got home, I checked my email. All right, we have worked all week. I ain't worked at all. I had an email from him. So, Mr. Hopkins, I think I got a couple things missing. How will this affect my grade if I get it turned in? This is a kid who was told, who was told at the start of the year, he ain't going to do nothing. 
He's a little bit malleable. Part of that is we try to develop a relationship there with him. Now he's on Wednesday night at fall break trying to knock a couple assignments out. We can be like that with other people. Our heart has to be soft to wear enough. It can be malleable. It can be molded. It can be changed into what it needs to be. Last thing. Penetrable. A minute ago was impenetrable. Things that are blocked off. Penetrable, though, something that can be penetrated into. This means we're not only going to allow ourselves to sort of be molded, but also we're going to allow God's Word to not only go there, but to stay there as well. The hearts in Acts 2 and verse 37 said, were pricked by Peter's sermon, and they asked, what could they do to be saved? In Psalms 119 and verse 11 says, Thy word I've hit my heart for what reason? It says that I may not sin against thee. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. All of those talk about the word of God not just being heard, not just making a few changes, but it travels with you as well. Every time I go somewhere, I have my wallet. In my wallet, I have a driver's license. Because I have to have that as proof that I have a, that I am a legal allowed driver. And I may get in trouble for speeding. I may get in trouble for uh, you know any number of things. But I have this that's proof that's right there. And I have it with me. Well, as a Christian, we have to keep that word of God sort of traveling with us as well. It's penetrable. It's there within us. So let's think about it for a second. What kind of heart do we have? Well, are we stubborn, stiff-necked, and impenetrable? If those first things that we talked about describe you, then you have what we would describe as a hard heart. But on the flip side of that, are we submissive, malleable, penetrable? Well, then we have what we would describe as a soft heart. Now, it's going to be real easy right now. I can give you 30 seconds to say, look around the room and tell me if they got a hard heart or a soft heart. Oh, it'd be the funnest day we ever had at church, right? We can point out all oh, hard heart, soft heart, all that. But more than that, the question at the beginning was, how does it describe us? And so this is not a look around the room, but rather this is a James chapter 1 kind of situation where we need to look in the mirror. And what does our heart look like in the mirror? It's not that beaten thing right there. That's what we talked about at the beginning. We need to go back and say, where is our heart? Is it submissive? Is it penetrable? Are we willing to hear? Are we willing to repent? Are we willing to change? Because that's what's most important. And we can go from a hard heart to a soft heart. That's the best part. You're not bored with one or the other. It can be changed. And you can be like that person that you described that used to be this way and has come all the way around to the other side. So whatever the heart is, whatever it might be, whatever you might need, don't harden your heart like Pharaoh did, but instead... Let it soften up. Let it go to something completely different, something far better uh, as we go forward. If there any way we can help, anything we can do, we'd invite you to come while we stand and sing.